Hello, Valparaiso. This is Allison Schutte. And Reagan Skaggs. And you're listening to... Welcome Project Radio. The Welcome Project collects first-person stories and pairs them with facilitated conversation to help participants forge stronger ties within and across communities. We vision a world in which people are curious about and actively seek to engage with those who are different from themselves. We are proudly underwritten by Asana Yoga Center and Roots Market Cafe, two excellent ways to feel good, especially as this pandemic prolongs itself. They're located downtown and online at asanacenter.com and rootsmarketcafe.com. And thanks to Michael and Kelly Marachna, who believe in supporting diversity, learning, and growth. The music is provided by WVLP's very own Paul Schreiner. Thanks, Paul. Thank you indeed, Paul. And many of you would know, if you've been listening to the radio station recently, that we are in the middle of a fundraiser. And in fact, Paul Schreiner's CD is one of the pieces of swag you can get. So if you like what you hear in our opening song there, you should consider becoming a supporting member. Our spring pledge drive, which goes through April 22nd, if you pledge at $5 a month, you get that couch music CD. And if you pledge at $10 a month, you get a WVLP t-shirt And if you pledge at $15 a month, you'll get both the CD and the T-shirt. So go to wvlp.org backslash support to make your sustaining pledge and become a member today. And we here at Welcome Project Radio, thank you for doing so. Today we are down one. Mm, Yes, (laughs) lovely Willow is sick today. You might have missed her voice already, as we do. But I think we can pull it off. Reagan, what do you think? I have faith in us. (laughs) So uh, this is Welcome Project Radio. Listen up. And um, today I had been interested in having some stories from our trans members, community members, and then realized we've, we've actually played from our archive, the Welcome Project archive, the trans stories we have already. Just a shout out if you're hearing this and you're interested in offering a story about your own trans experience or you know someone else who might be interested in sharing theirs with us, uh, you can reach out to us at welcome.project at valpo.edu, which is one of our email addresses, or you can find us via social media badges on our website at welcomeproject, all one word, .valpo.edu. One of the reasons I was really interested in trans stories today is that Many of you might know that anti-LGBTQ plus legislation has been ramping up across the country, specifically at state government levels. And here, even in our very own city of Valparaiso, the ACLU of Indiana filed a lawsuit against Valparaiso High School in February on behalf of one of our trans students, Jasper Wisecarver. And in their statement about this, they quoted Jasper as saying, trans kids deserve the same rights as anyone. None of us choose to be trans or decided to make life more difficult for ourselves. Young trans kids are just trying to exist and often don't feel like they can stand up for their rights. But instead of school administration being supportive, administrators are making life more challenging for already vulnerable students. And Jasper 
was being denied access to a restroom consistent with his own gender identity, which is a pretty familiar story. Again, just a reminder that this happens in our own local communities. So even if you're listening to this show later on our podcast and you're not in Valparaiso, Indiana, you know, you might have something similar happening in your own community. The lawsuit actually has uh, been resolved, or I guess I should say they settled on March 28th, so just a few weeks ago. So the lawsuit was dropped, but the ACLU actually does have two other ongoing lawsuits against public school districts in Indiana. And right now the Indiana legislator is, legislature is attempting to pass a bill that would ban trans girls from school sports. So that's a familiar move that we're seeing, not just at the public school level, but it's getting attention in terms of collegiate sports and even um, Olympic level sports. So um, yeah, it felt just really important to name that. Here in Valparaiso, we also have, um, you know, the election is coming up in, in May. So there's some things on the ballot. Um, the supporters of Valparaiso community schools in particular are campaigning for a referendum that would supplement revenues schools get from the state of Indiana. And the referendum specifically would support retaining teachers and mental health workers, which could help manage class sizes and essential health and safety initiatives. So some of you listening, and I know myself, would really uh, be behind that. It's a very important um, aspect of our students' well-being to have faculty, teachers, um, mental health workers who are themselves resourced and able to serve the students. At the same time, it can be really painful for some of us that this referendum is happening at the same time as something like one of the trans students at the high school being denied basic access to restrooms and other services. I think that we would like to see an organization like the supporters of Valparaiso Community Schools, which is independent of the schools themselves, advocating more uh, holistically for the health, safety, and inclusion of our most vulnerable students, so not just our LGBTQ students, but students of color and our Muslim students. At present, the Valparaiso High School administration downplays and or denies realities of racism, Islamophobia, homophobia, and transphobia that students are experiencing. So if you are coming out to vote on May 3rd, you might, when you see that referendum, remember these other students and consider communicating with the supporters of Valparaiso Community Schools. You can find them on Facebook and letting them know you'd like to see their advocacy be enlarged to support those most vulnerable students. If you're hearing this, this episode today on the 16th of April, uh, Alliance, which is Valparaiso University's LGBTQ student organization, has a whole week of events for trans rights. And if you check out their Instagram account, Valpo Alliance, um, they have a flyer posted there that has the times and dates for the different events. So I know this is a lot of talking um, and, and not getting to the stories right away. But we're about to do that now. And our stories today, like I said, aren't going to be trans-specific since we've played many of them before. It can be valuable to recognize that we all feel at some point like we don't belong. And that can be a starting point for empathy. 
And I know that that's um, essential for the kind of connections we need to make across our differences. So I think the stories today will function in that way of helping us see what it is this quality of, of feeling like when we when we do finally belong, why that happens for us, what is it that we're receiving? And if we are experiencing exclusion, today's stories will also help us think about why that might happen. At Listen Up, Welcome Project Radio, we also want to remember, even as we think about what's universal about this experience, that we recognize some of us are more vulnerable than others and experience exclusion in in more poignant ways and and often, more often. So today we wanted to dedicate the show to the queer community and trans folks in particular. So with that very elaborate introduction, we'll go ahead and play our first story for today, which is called Not Just Another Student. And this was an interview that was done with a senior as she was about to depart the university. During my freshman year here, it was really hard for me to adjust to the college life. It was really hard for me to make friends just because I've had the same friends since the early days of elementary school all the way through senior year in high school, and I never really felt the need to practice making new friends. So coming to college, it was really difficult for me because I wasn't really sure how to find a group that I would fit in with. So most of the time, I would just go to class and come back and do my homework. If anything, I would hang out with my sister because she was a senior when I was a freshman. She did tell me about St. Teresa's. We are Catholic, and that's where she found like a community. She really enjoyed having a place to express her faith. I wanted to be sure that there was um, a church that I'd be able to find and feel comfortable going to, and I definitely found that here. When sophomore year came around and I got more involved with St. Teresa's, I realized that this could be the group that I find my friends with. And I didn't realize how lonely at times when I felt like I didn't really have people to hang out with. Um, So it was just, it was really cool to find that I felt like I belonged when I was at St. T's because there's, anytime I would go there to study or work on homework or Um, go to an event, there would always be a ton of people there who were just as willing as I was to look for friends. One time that I felt that I belonged was at St. Teresa's. Um, This was last, last semester. We went on a mission trip to New Orleans, and I feel like I was still kind of getting to know people. Um, there were a lot of people at St. T's that I hadn't got the chance to meet yet, and in going on this mission trip with them, it was during one week of our spring break, so I got to spend a week with, you know, maybe like 25 students down in New Orleans. We were doing like Habitat for Humanity type work where we were helping to rebuild houses and like repaint things and just clean up areas. I feel like I was really able to belong because I got to meet all these people that I hadn't known before, and they actually wanted to get to know me back. Um, So it was like a mutual thing. It wasn't that I was just tagging along on this trip where I actually felt included in the work that we were doing as a group together for other people, and I got to bond with the people that I was doing that with. Since I was with a group that had similar goals as as I did, um, it made me feel more comfortable with, you know, actually sharing things with them and getting to know them better. Like, I was able to talk with them easier because I felt that we had things in common and we were all working towards a similar goal. I think it's important for a person to feel like 
someone knows them, you know, it's, it's important to be in a space where you don't feel like you're just another student. This is Listen Up, Welcome Project Radio, and you're here with me, Allison Schutte, and Reagan Skaggs. We are without our beloved Willow Walsh, who is recovering today from not feeling too good. Mm-hmm. So shout out to you, Willow. Yeah, and today's story is from our campus collection and the Welcome Project archives. And you can find all of these stories on our website at welcomeproject, all one word, .edu. So I don't know if this is a good place to start, Reagan, but what are the defining features of the storyteller's first year at VU as you remember or recall them from hearing the story? (laughs) I mean, she has a very, I don't mean this in a dismissive way, but she has a pretty typical college story. A lot of people, they come and like their freshman year is not a good time. And it's not because like, and at least I went to Valpo too. They put a lot of effort into freshman year events. You have core where you have to go on events on campus. Like they do their best to get you out of that dorm room, but it's still rough. It's still a transition of being in a place in a high school um, where you know everybody, where you have like the same classes with everybody to like to going you're in usually for not everybody, for, but for a lot of us, a completely different city with people you don't know. Thankfully, she had her sister um, and you're trying to find your spot. And that's difficult. And that that is a very common college problem. Yeah. And I don't necessarily know this is true of this student. Um But if you're an introvert, then even if the school has provided lots of events and stuff like that, that does not necessarily, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, you can, you have a lot of nervousness and anxiety potentially to overcome if you're, if you're not extroverted. So that can make that kind of initial shift to a new campus and new people difficult. I was struck by the fact that, um, you know, she this storyteller had been with people since the early days of elementary school, which Mm -hmm. I had that experience, I guess, K through eight. And then I went to a public high school after being in a private K through eight. So that was my first experience of like so many new people and not, not knowing anybody, but like then the college transition was different because I already had some sense of that and Mm. what it means to practice making friends. Yeah. Um, I don't know why I was really struck by that phrase. Like, what do you think she means by practice or it's a skill like people, it's not when you get explicitly taught unless you have like a specific neurodivergence and they recognize that. Like I have a family member who is autistic and that is a thing that was taught sometimes was, okay, this is how you make and keep friends. But for the most part, you're not (laughs) taught how to make and keep friends. And I think for just like this speaker, like she had like, it was just happened to be around people and like, oh yeah, we're friends because we're around each other. And I think this is something that a lot of adults struggle with now. Like I am Mm -hmm. a working adult and I talk with like my like coworkers who are also working adults. And it is insane to me how many of them do not have friends. And it's not because like these people are unpleasant to be around. It's because they, they don't know how to do it. They don't have that. They don't understand that skill of what it means to make a friend and then maintain a friendship outside of an institution. Like, yeah, I don't think our society really teaches us that friends are relationships to work on. Like Mm -hmm. we tend to think, of romantic relationships as things that you have to 
cultivate and then renew. And there's lots of advice out there about that. But we somehow think that friends are supposed to be easy peasy, like Mm -hmm. the, you know, like things aren't going well with your romantic partner. So, you know, you've always got your friends. Mm -hmm. Well, (laughs) maybe you don't because you've moved, switched cities. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a big thing. Also, you know, the joke of when I was at Valpo and I think at a lot of other colleges, but I can't speak to that, um, is your friends freshman year are not your friends Mm. later on. They're like, you have, because it's that same thing of like, well, we're thrown together. Yeah. We have like maybe core together, you know, something like that. So we're friends. And then you realize that you're not actually compatible (laughs) with that person (laughs) and you move forward. But yeah, like it's not an uncommon experience and it isn't an uncommon experience within adulthood either. Yeah. Um, So how does this storyteller feel like she belongs at St. T's? So she's she's in this situation of feeling thrust into a new place. She has her sister, like you said. I'm wondering then when she finds this St. T's is the Catholic church for our Valparaiso University students and actually community members go there too. Mm-hmm. And her sister introduces her to that. What are some of the ways that she knows that community is a place where she, I don't know, she doesn't use the word fit in. I realized that this could be the group that I find my friends with. Mm-hmm. I mean, she doesn't explicitly say, but I would say that it has something to do with a, a similar reasoning behind why she felt Uh, very good and comfortable on that spring break trip with Habitat for Humanity. Like she feels like they are all working towards a similar goal. And I know like religion can operate that way. And like St. T's, I am a non-religious person. I am generally uncomfortable in religious spaces. I think St. T's does really great community work, not just for the students, but for our community at large. Like they're giving dinner out at least once a week, oftentimes more than that. Like most of the volunteer, volunteer, um, things that were put on by a religious group when I was in Valpo, I would have gone to St. T's like a hundred times over in comparison to a lot of the churches and stuff around campus because of the, the good community work that I really do believe that they're doing. So that's like a very powerful force. And that would be my assumption is like along with like the religious aspect of that, like the very real community work aspect of that. Yeah, I think I think I don't want to understate that. I do think for this storyteller, there's almost like a two-step process, at least as she's reflecting backward about it. Mm -hmm. Um, Because when she first attends, she just says, it was really cool to feel that I felt like I belonged. Mm -hmm. Anytime I would go there to study, to go to an event, there would always be a ton of people there who were just as willing as I was to look for friends. So that feels like an important stage, right? That this sense of I might belong because this is my religious tradition. And so there's things that are just familiar about that. Mm -hmm. But I'm also not out of place because I'm not the only one Mm -hmm. (laughs) looking for friends. And I think that that seems to be a moment for her of like, this isn't strange. I'm not weird. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, this is perfectly normal. And then when she talks about the service trip with St. Treat St. T's, that was at least a semester later, if not a year and a half later. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I was still kind of getting to know people. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's another thing that's important to recognize is that making friends is actually not like one and done, you yeah. know, like it's not that magic 
falling in love, finding your soulmate, which is actually probably (laughs) also not true of romantic (laughs) partnerships, but it is something that takes like continually arriving, showing up, Mm -hmm. um, like hanging out in more casual ways. Maybe you're just studying at a table next to somebody. Yeah. So then that, that actual intense immersion and the side-by-side work and being stuck. She doesn't use that language, but I kind of think that must be part of a spring break trip. Like you can't escape each other. Yeah. You gotta be nice. You gotta. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that, that having that common goal, I think, she says similar goal later, we had things in common that feels really important to her. Well, and I do think that, um, that's something that also that religion provides is like, I remember one of my teachers in middle school, which I don't know if she should have been telling this, but would tell us about like how, when she was a single traveling teacher in Guam and she's like, yeah, I would go to all of the Christian single events that my church put on. (laughs) Like this is stuff that like the church in particular is like generally pretty like good for. And that's something that I feel like as a non-religious person, I frequently, underestimate is like the importance of that social aspect and the importance of the effort that the church goes to, Mm. to draw you in and keep you in specifically with social events. And I don't mean that maliciously. I hope that didn't come out that way, but like that is very much a function of the church is like, this is where friends are. This is where love is. And not just, you know, your savior's love. (laughs) Like also like your community is love. Yeah. Yeah. The love is stored in the church service sometimes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because Liz was just telling me about a friend, a colleague who has been struggling, like they're relatively new to the university a couple years now yeah, and still struggling to find friends and mentioned specifically that they had expected by being a member and an active member of a church, mm-hmm. that that would be a place where those friendships can be, can develop, but that hasn't been happening for oh, them. Yeah. So I, you know, I mean, it's interesting because like sometimes the, the church understands there are certain groups of people that might need like singles. Mm -hmm. Let's help them meet each other. But they might forget this person happened to be a family, like a a husband, a father, Mm -hmm. like might not be thinking that that person also needs some way of making sure that others are coming together, looking to create new friendships. Cause if you go into a church that's, you know, like members know each other, Mm -hmm. like you might never break in. Yeah. Because those bonds of friendship are already formed. And I know from my own experience, I can often be kind of blind to when I've got my own relationships in place already. I am so, like, busy, like, Mm -hmm. maintaining and and, and celebrating and enjoying them that it can be really hard to open up to somebody new or even recognize that there's somebody new around. Yeah. Somebody looking. Yeah. 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 When you when you no longer are looking, it can be hard to see that there are other people looking. Yeah. Or yeah. have you? I mean, this is have you, the personal question, but have you ever been in the position where, in retrospect, you realize that this like somebody was trying very hard to be your friend, and you did not realize it until much later? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I feel like either I kind of recognize it in the happening. That doesn't mean I don't fail people, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe I have missed it. Like yeah. all together. Yeah. I feel like that happens. I can point to several points in my life where I have in retrospect realized that that was what, what's uh, going on and I have guilt for that. Yeah. But <laughs> you know, like, just like you said, it is hard. Like once you're in your bubble, like I am a person that very much 
has a very like has very intimate friendships and very like long lasting friendships. I've been my friends, my best friend and I have been friends since like sixth grade, like attached to the hip friends since sixth grade. Like Willow has been my friend for like five or six years now, and we like we like go on baby vacations and stuff together. <laughs> like you know, and one of my other really good friends lives like an hour away, and like I try and see her like every two months. Like I just I'm a person that has intense yeah relationships, and I really enjoy that, and I really like I I put effort into those relationships. But then because I'm so focused on oh I. I'm going to see this person or I'm going to do this or I'm going to do why. Like, I don't always notice the people around me Yeah, who would also maybe want to try to have a similar relationship with me, even when I'm open to those things, because yeah. I just don't think about it. Yeah. I'm very much the same in terms of when I'm relating to somebody, like I like to go deep. And so I think that that, awkward time of getting to know people where it's you have to do a little bit of that song and dance yeah like that's really hard for me actually yeah. <laughs> um in fact I think some of my friendships actually do the ones that I that continue to be a, an important part of my life are friends that like it happened right away like yeah. we didn't do a lot of song and dance because we had suddenly a conversation that went from like oh what did you do this weekend to like and we're talking about spirituality and we're talking about politics. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah. I think that that's, that can be another potential barrier yeah. to seeing people that are looking. Um, when we're thinking about places like schools, so I'm thinking about the high school again in my mind, in the back of my mind, even though this is a college story. And maybe you mentioned this a little bit already. I'm like wondering who's responsible for creating opportunities for meeting. Mm -hmm. um, like if it's something that we individually just have to do for ourselves, like it's a kind of self-advocacy or if there is responsibility on um, administrators to make sure that there's organizations and then do you administrators have a certain kind of responsibility to make sure those organizations remain mm -hmm. welcoming and inclusive, or is it then the organization's <laughs> responsibility? Yeah. I mean, probably by the, the sake of the question, it's, you can see that the responsibility is layered, but I wonder if you have any thoughts about like whether there's a special responsibility for administration or organizations and the leaders of those organizations. This feels like a difficult question that should be easy <laughs> if that makes any sense right because like if you actually look at most institutions like I, I again I say this like lovingly I don't say this as a fault but part of the reason why colleges like Valpo included and I really enjoyed my time at Valpo are so adamant about having so many first year activities and then later on year activities like um, the social um, fraternities and sororities. There's a bunch of clubs you can join. There are several religious like affiliated organizations you can join. There's cultural groups on campus. Part of the reason why we see these kinds of aspects within a college and we don't see them maybe other places is because they're, they want your money. They're trying to keep you retained. And one mm -hmm. of the biggest things, just like at a job, like one of the biggest points of retention is you form positive relationships and social connections at this place. Right. Um, 
a lot of people talk about like college in general again including valparaiso as like oh i met my partner here Mm -hmm. like oh i met my my college friend here these are my sorority sisters And, and those are really valuable and really important and i do think it kind of technically should be on the institution more, especially when we're talking about an institution such as school. Yeah. Um, or we're talking about like an institution such as like a church. Um, I feel a little bit th- that way about most work because again, if you want people to stay, you should, you know, not be terrible to them. But I don't think that's actually how it works for the most part. Like I think college, college and churches and other religious things are the exception to the rule rather than the rule, mm. I guess. I don't know. Is that buck wild? No, that makes, that sounds right. That sounds right. And I do think that, I do think not just for their self-interest in terms of retention, that workplaces, churches, colleges would want to make sure that there's activities that their students or their congregants can be involved in. Um, At the same time, I, I, I think they often forget that it's not just enough to have the groups Mm -hmm. or the organizations that there is a, a way in which we, um, because of just implicit bias and outright, you know, prejudice that we have, that we've absorbed and been conditioned by through coming up in American society, mm-hmm. that some of those groups end up being more exclusive yes. than they intend. So it could be be a part of an administration's responsibility to keep fostering a sense of inclusion. And that probably means that you need to be doing that with your staff and teachers too, which is, you know, and I think that's, uh, that's on the, the horizon for administrators, but there's sometimes a more conscious work you have to do. You can't just assume that goodwill, um, is enough to make inclusion bubble up in Mm -hmm. all of these places. Station break. This is WVLPLP at 103.1 FM in Valparaiso, community-supported radio, also streaming live from WVLP.org. We rely on donations from individuals, businesses, and other organizations in order to continue to spread the word that ongoing, volunteer-driven local media leads to a better community. We actually are in the middle of a spring pledge drive until April 22nd. So we're seeking people to um, become sustaining members. That doesn't mean you can't make a one-time donation, but it's really helpful for us to be able to rely on income coming in at a regular monthly basis. So uh, during the spring pledge drive, if you pledge at the $5 a month level, you'll get a couch music CD. Um, Paul Schreiner, who you will know by his music as opening and closing our show, that's his CD that he's generously made available. At the $10 a month level, you will get a WVLP t-shirt. And at the $15 a month level, you'll get both the CD and the t-shirt. So if you're a fan of swag, go to wvlp.org backslash support to make your sustaining pledge and become a member today. We sure appreciate it. So today on Listen Up, Welcome Project Radio, Reagan and I have been thinking about stories of inclusion, and we're actually going to be listening to a storyteller who thinks more about the reverse side of that, um, the exclusion that this student feels. And again, it's a senior reflecting back on their time, so it's kind of an interesting companion story to the first one. And if you're just tuning in to us um, At the beginning of the hour, I had mentioned that we're dedicating today's show to the queer community and trans folks in particular. 
um, recognizing how often for our LGBTQ community and trans folks in particular, that exclusion is um, a pretty um, familiar experience. And um, so these stories we're hoping will help us think through how we can relate differently within our organizations and groups to make sure that those feelings of exclusion can be countered in some fashion. So this is our second story, Fall Through the Cracks. I realized that you know I could apply to Valpo because I'd been familiar with it. My aunt went here when I was a kid. I feel like I belonged here more when I was three than I do now that I'm you know, 21. I don't really feel that same sense of like belonging, I guess, here. It's just... It's almost as if there's there's lots of groups on campus, but when you don't belong to any certain one, you just kind of like fall in the cracks and you kind of have to find ways to make yourself feel like you belong, but there's just nothing you can really do. One instance where I felt like I didn't belong here at all, um, I'm in the Honors College, Christ College, and I remember my freshman year, we were discussing the Bible and having not been raised you know, in a religious house or not having much experience with it, I remember, you know, asking my professor a lot of questions during class, you know, oh, well, why is it this way? You know, where did Cain and Abel's wives come from? Just things that I, I really had no idea. And at one point, my teacher, you know, had said to me, if you don't know the Bible, you really don't belong here. And so I remember, you know, just being in shock because, you know, Valpo touts diversity and talks about how they accept everyone. But my teacher told me to my face that if I didn't know the basic teachings of the Bible, what, what was I even doing in this college, especially the Honors College? And I just remember just being angry from that point on and then just never really associating myself with that college at all. I don't really believe that in a God or that there is a God, but at the same time, I see so many people that do and, you know, go to church and have these great communities and pray and worship, and I'm almost enviable. Like, I'm almost wishing that I had that within me to have that sort of faith in something else, but I don't, and I just really don't think that it's there. And so it's difficult for me, you know, to get involved with a lot of things on campus because as someone who doesn't believe that there is a God, a lot of the, you know, university organizations are religiously oriented. And I don't want to offend anyone by, you know, participating, but I mean, if SALT, you know, has an event, you know, trying to help people with, you know, raising money to get water and I want to help, how do I approach that situation when they all know this about me because of Christ College? How do I, there's no way I can really reconcile it because they already know I'm an outsider, even if I just want to help. It's, it's pretty difficult. I mean, I mean, I've been here now, this is my fourth year and I still, I mean, people say that, oh, it's my senior year, I'm looking on this with fondness. And I mean, I can look back on my classes and look back at the things that I've taken here and, and smile, but I can't really look back at, you know, socializing with people and thinking that, oh, I'm going to really miss that because for the most part, I mean, I wasn't really liked because I was different and it's, it's not something you can see. It's not like a visible difference. It's just, it's just hard to feel like you actually deserve to have your education here or that you really should be in this class. It just seems to be this bubble and I just, in, in this bubble, I seem not to fit. This is Listen Up, Welcome Project Radio, and you're here with me, Allison Schutte, and Reagan Skaggs. Willow Walsh is doing a little self-care and recovery today, so we are wishing you well, Willow. Um, today's stories are from our campus collection. Um, all of these stories you can find online on our website, welcomeproject, all one word, .valpo.edu. And we're specifically thinking about 
inclusion. And in this story, we're going to get a chance to think through exclusion. Um, I think it's an interesting companion story to our first because from a distance, the kind of she, she this storyteller also sees the kind of belonging that happens through religious organizations. Um, but that accentuates her own sense of alienation. So it's this strange, like, <laughs> how are both possible? Of course, yeah. that happens all the time in, in life. So it's what makes uh, experience so varied. Um, I wonder, as a starting point, did you what did you notice about how this storyteller experiences herself as an outsider? Uh, she truly thinks that due to like her outside status, she is an unlikable person. It seems, or not an unlikable person, yeah. but she is labeled that way, and that's that's pretty stark. That's that's a that's not a very fun thought to have about your relationship with your peers. I, I mean, there's something about this story that I'm trying to wrap my mind around too. That's related to that point, like the sense of alienation she feels, and that it feels to her like it's coming from outside projected onto her mm-hmm. you know the the story she tells at the top about her class in um, Christ College it was a specific moment with a teacher telling the student you know if you don't know the the biblical stories then you really don't belong here and the storyteller says, I remember just being angry from that point on. And that struck me too, as like, it really can be a single, I mean, maybe it's not, I guess we don't know. Maybe it's not a one-time thing. Maybe it was building up. Like mm-hmm. she was receiving messages and this in was the other ways. Yeah. But that, but that something could strike so deep yeah. that it becomes an anger that then it, it feels like separated her from this, the college. I don't know if she stopped attending because, you know, you don't have to be a part of Christ College, the mm-hmm. Honors College. You opt into that. So I don't yeah. know if the student opted out, but it, I got that impression. I share that impression. Yeah, okay. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Like, maybe as we just talk about this story, we'll kind of get more of a sense of, what the emotional nature of this exclusion is for her. I I can ask another question, but did you have something that else that was coming to mind from how she feels like she doesn't belong? Um, yeah, I mean, I do not know this about this person, but I am a white atheist lady. I have quote and uh, pun kind of intended religiously read (laughs) (laughs) Um, a lot of, um, critiques, from mostly people of color about white atheism, like specifically white atheism and like what that looks like um, and how that like can kind of manifest. So that's, I just want to name that because again, I do not know if this person is white. It is not my business, but I, I do want to name that there is like still a lot of privilege that comes with being an atheist in a white atheist in particular in like a religious space, hmm. such as a college, a common critique of a lot of white atheists is um, maybe like an overprojected victimhood. Again, I am not uh, saying okay. that this is what this person is doing. I just want to name that just mm-hmm. in case that is what anybody is having and processing. And so that we can like, that may be a thing. 
and we're going to move forward if that is okay. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So like, I am also a white atheist. Um, I am also, well, again, I, again, I don't know if the speaker is white, but I am a white atheist. I have been in religious. I went to a religious school. The, my community is small and very religious. Um, I was in a bunch of groups in both high school and college. And in high school, the only access I had for the most part, if they were religious groups and if they weren't explicitly religious, there was still a prayer at the beginning of the meeting. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was also like a relatively vocal, um, non-believer. I hopefully not in a rude way. That's never been my goal, but just in a way where it's like, Hey, I don't know if it's disrespectful for me to participate in this prayer kind of way. And that is isolating. And that is kind of awful. And Christ College in particular, like my freshman year roommate was a very religious lady um, and she was in Christ College and we weren't friends, but we had this like weird relationship where we talked about a lot of things a lot and she would like show me her class list options and I would say like, and I don't know how long ago this interview was, um, Mm -hmm. that as of at least like five years ago, Christ College, at least for the freshmen, which that is the hardest year from what I understand of Christ College is your freshman year. That their whole freshman year is their weeding out year. Um, was very religiously minded. Like I think out of all of the, you have to take the one Bible class to start out with, or at least you did again, I'm no longer no, a that's student. Still true. You would take, they call it Christian traditions, Christian traditions. And then later on, um, you get your second half of freshman year, you get a little more choice. And then from there you get more and more choice as the year goes on. But those classes that are accessible to you as a freshman are often very religiously based. I think there was out of the four options that my roommate had, there was one that was non religiously based and it, I say this lovingly, but this sounded so boring. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So like it, it is a very, and again, Valpo is a Christian college. It's a a non-denominationally Lutheran college. Like they are entitled to that. I had to take religion classes Mm -hmm. when I was at Valparaiso university, but that doesn't mean that it's not isolating and that it's not unpleasant, especially when you are trying to ask questions that should be theologically relevant. Like where are Cain's and Naples wives? Like, how did that work? What is that story? Um, so I'm very disappointed that in a collegiate level, she was, her curiosity was kind of like, yeah, but also maybe she was being combative. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Well, we don't know the, the full picture cause we no. only have her story. I mean, it's interesting for me because I had, I would have had like a, a, an, a 180 experience with this student. Cause I also went to Valpo and I was in Christ college my first year. Um, and I come from a religious family, so I was steeped in, in Lutheran, Missouri Synod, so I was steeped in Bible, came in knowing all the stories, and to have my teachers asking me questions that made me think differently about mm-hmm. the Bible was deeply problematic and caused an identity crisis, which <laughs> I'm grateful for now, um, but I think it's... It's interesting that those kinds of, because I feel like the kinds of questions that this student was posing are based on like, okay, I'm going to take this text seriously. Yeah. Um, and take it seriously as a kind of an actual story. A nonfiction text. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think that's the attitude I came in with. So mm. we, we both had the same attitude towards this text. And like my teachers were telling me, stop reading it as history mm-hmm. and start reading it as literature. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how that, that wasn't happening for the student in this particular classroom. Yeah. Um, 
So I don't know how that's relevant necessarily to this larger conversation we're having about exclusion, except maybe that like the same place, um, the same kind of context, Mm -hmm. depending on who you are coming in, will lead to feelings of inclusion, feelings of exclusion. I mean, I Mm -hmm. suppose I would have, I should have felt included. These were my texts that I was familiar with. And yet there was something, I guess I wouldn't say I felt excluded Mm -hmm. by the kinds of questions that were being asked of me. Um, But it was definitely alienating. So maybe that's also a way of saying that as we're thinking about these larger conversations of belonging and exclusion, that there's going to be some sense in which we can't always get it right for everybody. Like that's just not going to happen. So it's more important to listen to how people are experiencing it so that then we can acknowledge impacts as it happens and then address it in some way and try to move forward together. Well, and there, there is something to that, right? Like not every space needs to be inclusive of everyone, right? Like there are moments in time, like for example, like another religious example, it would be very inappropriate for me to take communion. Mm. I am not a religious person. It'd be very inappropriate for me to get baptized. That is not my space. I do not believe so it would be really inappropriate for me to take part in these very intimate rituals. There are other things that are like publicly available. Like most Christmas services, any church is going to let you come in on a Christmas sure. service. I yeah. used to go to Christmas mass like every year. I loved Christmas mass. I've never been Catholic, <laughs> but I love Christmas mass. Like if I could go back to, I would go to Christmas Eve mass, like midnight mass. It's so nice. Like, but that's something that as long as you're not taking communion, like you can participate in respectfully. Like there were moments, the Muslim student association one year put on a thing where you could fast with the Muslim student association and Muslim community members. Mm -hmm. I participated in that, had a wonderful time. It would be inappropriate for me to participate in Ramadan. I'm not a Muslim person that would like, this is a very intimate ritual with a lot of cultural and religious meaning that I do not fully understand. And I don't have an interest in fully grasping because I am not of that religion. Yeah. So that's inappropriate. Um, and there are going to be times and spaces where like total inclusion is inappropriate. Um, I don't think it's inappropriate in the context that the student is asking for yeah. more inclusion. Um, but again, just I want to name that and then move forward, I guess. Yeah. Oh, oh uh, you're listening to Listen Up. Welcome Project Radio here at WVLP uh, 103.1 FM and streaming on live at WVLP.org. Um, Let's see, there was a question that is related to this that just, yeah, okay, so two places in this story, I think, one is at the end, but I thought there was one before that when they're talking about SALT. Mm -hmm. So SALT is the Social Action Leadership Team, which is a social justice organization that comes out of the chapel at campus. Um, And the storyteller says, I don't want to offend anyone by participating But, you know, when there's an event that's trying to help people raising money to get water, like I want to help. So how do I approach that situation when they all know this about me because of Christ College? So that's interesting because I guess it's not just like coming as a stranger to an organization. You're actually coming in where you recognize faces and think that they have a perception of you. So the storyteller goes on, how do I reconcile because they already know I'm an outsider, even if I just want to help. And this is another place where I was really, there's something important here Mm -hmm. for the storyteller that as an outside listener, I'm like, I don't think I've ever had that 
Yeah. So I don't quite know why would you, like, to your point about, okay, for you to participate in Ramadan would not make sense. Mm-hmm. But when the Muslim student organization has a day of fasting to help people who are non-Muslim experience something of what Ramadan might be like, mm-hmm. that's something that's public. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a salt event here to raise money to get water. The, the storyteller in some ways recognizes it is a public event. It's mm-hmm. for anybody who wants to help. And at the same time, they seem to think that they can't participate mm-hmm. because they're going to offend. I, that's an interesting word, offend. I wonder why she thought she would be offending them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, here we're hypothetical. Yeah, total speculation. We have no... So it's just using her language and then trying to understand what that might mean. So we could be totally getting this wrong. But do you have a way of understanding why she was worried about offending? There's no way I can really reconcile because they already know I'm an outsider. I think this very much sounds... I have loved ones and friends who are very anxious, very socially Mm. anxious. Like that is the source of that. And the, there's a certain, like not actually, but there's a certain self-centeredness that goes with that. Not in that, like you are being selfish, but in that you really do think that when you walk into a room, everyone Uh, is staring at you. And that is not the case. Yeah. So that would be my instinct here. Like it is very possible that there are people who remember this student from Christ College. Like, there are people who I barely talk to in college who's like, oh, I had a class with them. I remember having X conversation. Mm-hmm. Very rarely did that impact me so much that I would be like, oh, I can't believe this person is here. So that is, that's my first instinct um, about that particular idea. And I do think that it's also, like, probably a product of the student's sense of isolation, right? So they feel this way. So this is this way. And again, Mm -hmm. that is not necessarily Mm -hmm. always the case. And they could totally have had these experiences. It is possible. But my instinct is to say is like, you are really projecting this at least slightly on yourself because most people, and I mean this again with love, are not thinking about you that much. Um, Even people who love you very much are not thinking about you in that way constantly. Um, But also at the same time, I have been in situations where I have been told it's okay for me to be a part of this religious organization. I am helping this religious organization. I'm organizing with this religious organization. I am working. I am doing the things. And then it comes time to do prayer. And I like try to respectfully kind of back out because for me, I feel like that is disrespectful. Um, maybe not. It's hard to tell in the Midwest if that's going to be disrespectful or not, or if it's more respectful to just go with it. And like that has caused problems. Mm -hmm. So she's not totally out of nowhere here. Like I, there is a precedent set here, but I I don't know if it's as extreme as this student is perceiving it to be. And again, I can't say that, but that is my instinct. I wonder if it's a quality of anger too. Yeah. You know, going back to like that anger, feeling rooted in rejection and in that case, rejection by an authority figure, the Mm -hmm. teacher. And then it sounds like maybe imagining your peers are internalizing that rejection, maybe because they didn't come to the student's Mm -hmm. defense. Yeah, This person sounds like they were humiliated by a professor in front of a bunch of classmates. That is awful. And I think it's related to the other comment that she makes at the end that I didn't quite understand either. She's talking about, you know, being an 
atheist on a Christian campus. She says, I, I wasn't really liked because I was different. So that's interesting too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a visible difference. And she says, it's just hard to feel like you actually deserve to have your education here. Which that is the other phrase that really stood out to me. Like when I have felt excluded, that often actually internally animates in me, I have a right to be here. Mm -hmm. How dare you exclude me? Yeah. (laughs) Which I think is maybe how I was understanding her anger at the beginning, but I'm not sure that's the kind of anger she felt. Mm -hmm. Um, Or if it was, it was mixed with something else. So like, I feel like I deserve to have an education here Mm -hmm. and some obstacle is in the way. And now I would want to find out if it's a person, if it's a policy, if it's a culture, mm-hmm. and then push back at it. And maybe that comes from having enough resources to feel like capable of that. Cause I know like sometimes when you're feeling marginalized, it can exhaust you to a level that you can't do any of that self-advocacy. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Does that language of, I, it's hard to feel like I actually deserved to have my education here. Is that ringing true with the other reading that you're having, or does it bring something else to light for you? Well, and if I remember correctly, in the beginning of the story, she says she comes from a religious household also. Well, she did say her aunt went to Valpo when she was a kid. She would go to Valpo to, I guess, like because the aunt was attending and felt like she belonged. I don't see anywhere that she says the family's religious though. Oh, I apologize. I thought that. I don't know why I did. But if she had, I guess that would have been my assumption was like, oh, well, like my religious family has given me X and then I feel bad about not participating in X. Like, and I'm very familiar with familial guilt. I'm (laughs) I'm the child of a teenage parent. Like, we know we all go through it. (laughs) Um, But I mean, I don't know. I think that that just might be really part of it for her. And there is, if you, so there are people who are non-religious now due to ex- due to thought processes or a, a sort of consistency seeking um, in that, well, this doesn't make sense, so why? And then, like, that has led them thing. And there are people who have eventually, like, a common uh, marker of likely to become a non-religious person is, like gay rights honestly is like mm. one of the big ones at least in the u.s in regards specifically to christianity i can't yeah. speak to other things is like not feeling like it, i don't think it's bad for people to be gay and then that can like be the path out of religion not that all christians are anti-lgbt or that there are no lgbt christians but that is a often a path out um so like we have like those two types of like political slash consistency seeking seeking out of religion and there are a lot of people who legitimately just never had the sensation um and whether you agree or not, um, there are a lot of ways that like the church in particular will try to like evoke religious sensation in you. Like it's the music changes. It's the, mm-hmm. the it's the cadence of speech. It's the togetherness. It's the like really getting excited and like overexerting yourself emotionally in a certain space and then attributing that emotion to something. Um, there are very definite ways that this is done, but there are people who, who don't feel who don't get that like elated 
higher power feeling. They've either never had it or they've had it in very limited context. And that is also like a very definitive path Mm. out of religion. And it kind of, to me, sounds a little bit like maybe this is where this is coming from. Because like that is also very like isolating. And there's certain people whose brains are more primed for that experience. And there are certain people who aren't. And this person just might be like one of those who aren't and feeling particularly excluded. I don't know that, but yeah. that's my thought. That's yeah. my feeling. <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, and to be again on a campus where not every student, but a lot of students do have close ties with their religious communities still, um, you can feel like I'm missing out on something that's just not possible yeah. for me to access. And so that could start to make you feel like there's something wrong inside of you. Mm-hmm. Um, so feeling for that particular student. Yes. Um, we're, we're wrapping up here. And before we head out today, uh, we want to encourage you to check out WVLP's full schedule of radio shows at WVLP.org. We, in particular, highly recommend Morning Black, and it airs live every Saturday morning at 8 a.m. Morning Black stands for Building Leaders and Cultural Knowledge, and it's a platform for discussions surrounding the concerns of race and ethnicity, especially here in Northwest Indiana, but not only. So uh, that's it for today. Sorry. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening. And uh, thanks again to our sponsors, Asana Yoga Center at asanacenter.com and Roots Market Cafe at rootsmarketcafe.com. Both are also open for business and their locations downtown on Lincoln Way. And you can visit their websites to learn more. We here at Welcome Project Radio love to support our local businesses. You can also find us online at welcomeproject.com. Valpo.edu. And thank you to Michael and (laughs) Kelly Marakna who believe in supporting diversity, learning, and growth. Uh, We really appreciate you. Um, Do the website again because there's no (laughs) .com in there. Find us online at welcomeproject.vapo.edu and wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to support WVLP in our show, you can make a donation by going to wvlp.org support. 